Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. My name is Brendan Ekbaba, I am your host, and I am actually out and about yet again, um, tackling the world and actually doing this on the roll. (laughs) So um, for those of you who are joining me for the first time, thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited to have you here. This is going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about um, a nice little case study that is currently going on. And uh, I think you guys are going to get quite a bit of value out of this. And for those of you who are returning, thank you so much. You guys are just absolutely fantastic. And uh, coming back and joining me time and time again as I continue on down this journey. So I'm here to help you share or help share with you the what and how in human resources. And I'm in the human business, and that means there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. But most importantly, today, we are going to talk about employment changes across the nation. We're going to take a look at our main topic today, which is called the HR nightmare that is WeWorks. Um, This is still a folding. It's still unfolding, but I think it's finally got some control onto it here situation and it's just interesting to see it as it produces um we're gonna have some announcements we've got the hr question of the day and then also i'm going to tell you how you can get your best practices delivered right to your inbox so uh before we begin um this information available through the podcast is actually for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice you should contact your attorney to obtain legal guys legal advice with respect to any uh, particular issue and if you do not have an employment attorney you can go ahead and reach out to me and i might be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over at jackson lewis okay so today we're going to take a look at employment changes across the nation okay so we got quite a bit today so first off uh, for the government contractors uh, president trump has actually revoked an executive order that uh, puts the right of first refusal with successors and service contract employers and what that means is that uh, back in the obama administration um, there was an executive order that came out that um, contractors had to include and anytime that there was a service contract act there had to be uh, right of first refusal in other words they had to adopt all of the employees from the pre-existing contract if uh, the contract they would be referred to as incumbents and um, and that has now been waived so uh, so that's a new development Uh, there is a new class action suit against or claims that are against stores where uh, they must actually supply gift cards with Braille. Now, the only reason I'm calling that out is typically when we look at American with Disabilities Act, on this show, we typically talk solely around the employee side of things and the employment side of things. I just thought that that was very interesting, uh, and I wanted to call that out because this could also it potentially impact your employees as well. Um, particularly if it comes to cards, if if it's going to go for gift cards at some point in time, I can completely see that debit cards and, um, any type of payroll debit card could be required, uh, to be printed in Braille as well. Um, for those of you that are managing 401ks, the IRS has published the annual 401k contribution limit increase for the upcoming year 2020. Uh, definitely check that out. It looks like the DOL is actually proposing new electronic disclosure safe harbor provisions. Uh, So you want to keep an eye out for that. Um, Also, uh, the 2020 cost of living adjustments for retirement plans has also come out. So you're going to want to check into that. Um, There has been a ruling from the uh, from 
from the Department of Labor, an opinion letter that has come out that there is now no longer a delay when it comes to FMLA. And what that basically means is that specifically, this is for unionization, not for everybody. Union workers cannot delay FMLA leave according to a recent opinion letter released by the Department of Labor. So if you guys are in union or have unions and you're dealing with FMLA, you're going to want to bone up on that one for sure. Um, <clears throat> over in the federal courts, uh, there has been a temporary block um, that has been put into place, and the federal court blocks health care insurance requirements for immigrant visa applicants. So that is on hold for the time being. Um, got a couple things coming out of California. First and foremost, uh, the California court has, has ruled that food and beverage service charges could actually qualify as gratuity. So if those of you in the restaurant industry in California, you're going to want to look into that. Also, meal and rest break premiums are now payable at the base rate, not the regular rate of pay. And employees now have an extra two years to file and I apologize because I don't work in California, so I'm going to just say the acronym, and I'm not sure if it's one that you, I'm going to spell it, I don't know if you, just, you say it, <laughs> but um, it looks like that employees now have two extra years to file the FEHA claim, or if it's said, it's FIHA. <laughs> I have no idea, but those of you in California will certainly know what that is. Also, uh, New York has issued update, updated guidance on new anti-discrimination laws, so uh, if you guys are over there, uh, definitely want to dip into that. And then over in Oregon, it looks like there are some upcoming changes to the pregnancy and childbirth accommodation laws. Um, we are starting to round into the beginning of a new year, and we are going to see a lot of movement um, in respects to new laws that start in the beginning of the year. So this is typically the time where we start learning about them and start ramping up for it. Um, and certainly we've had a couple of states pop up on the list today. Um, there's over in San Antonio, some amendments have been made in regards to paid sick leave ordinance that's there. And also there's some related developments that are actually impacting the overall state of Texas. Um, so for those of you who are out there, you're going to want to put that on your radar. In Washington State, the Washington Supreme Court has approved trucking industry peace rate compensation practices. And then lastly, up we're in Puerto Rico, um, new legislation precludes employers in Puerto Rico from actually using credit reports or credit history to take any type of employment action. And that is what we have when it comes to all of the employment laws that are changing across the nation. Today's main topic is actually very interesting. <laughs> there is a absolute just monstrous mess that is going on with the company called WeWorks. And if you have been uh, reading the financial news or if you've been paying attention to headlines, um, you're going to learn a lot about it. But if you haven't, um, I certainly want to talk about it today because it is an absolute nightmare when it comes to just everything in general, but in particular, it's also an HR nightmare as well. So I'm going to take a little bit of time here, or a good chunk of time actually, because I want to go over with you guys what exactly is going on. If, you, if you're if you not familiar with WeWorks, then I want to go ahead and share with you what is going, what's going down the pike. So WeWork is actually an international company that was preparing to go public this year. Um, they have a very interesting business model where they go ahead and lease an office for the long term. They renovate it to make it more modern looking and appealing. And then they go ahead and sublease uh, smaller uh, offices and desks in the short run. Now, they have also been very successful at building a community of professionals and have managed to influence commuters or those that typically work from their home office to get out and get back into an office environment again. Um, there's an app, there's uh, all sorts of community events that go on, and, and it's a really great opportunity, honestly, if you've ever been to one, to network with other business people and build some pretty good relationships. Now, this company was dreamt up and initiated uh, by a gentleman by the name of Adam Newman, uh, and the guy's young. I mean, he's six foot five, he's like 40 years old, 
Um, but up until recently, he's been the CEO of the company and um, has purchased other different types of smaller uh, conglomerates as well, including the famous um, website where people can go and connect with one another called meetup.com. So he's, he's very brash. He's got an extremely strong vision. Um, the people really like him because he's a risk taker. He's, he's highly charismatic, and he's an absolute master storyteller. And, and that's a very big draw for this guy. I mean, it's just the way people were talking about him and a lot of the research that I've been doing is just they would listen to him for five minutes, and all of a sudden everybody wanted to invest. So prior to WeWorks being able to go public, the company has to file what is called an S-1 prospectus with the uh, SEC. And that, when that got filed, that's where things started to go sideways. I mean, totally sideways, because a lot of what was going on at WeWorks suddenly became very clear and very public. So as of June 2019, WeWorks employed 12,500 people in over 528 locations, not only in the U.S., but in several other countries as well. So we're not talking about small peanuts here. We're talking about a, a mega corporation at this point. And the IPO that was declared uh, indicated that the initial offering for WeWorks was going to be at $40 billion and expected to release at $47 billion in just a few months. Now that meant a $47 billion offering coming into the market. And revenue was doubling annually. Um, Newman had really argued that it just wasn't a real estate company, that WeWorks really deserved the type of valuation that you know should normally be sought out by tech companies when they start off so so he was he was very influential okay so when the SEO SEC reviewed the S1 they discovered that there were a large number of conflicts uh, of interest and that really was surrounding how Newman was making his decisions that there was a significant amount of self-interest involved um, including uh, using his own leasing companies um, he's borrowing significantly, almost to the hilt, against his own stocks. Um, there were questionable self-dealings, including his wife's ability to appoint a new CEO if anything happened to him. I mean, these were all things that were actually written in the, uh, in the S-1. And significant lack of regulatory compliance. So you have a group of people that are working for this company that are pushing and working hard. They're totally bought into this amazing culture. The kind of thing that you know everybody is shooting for and you know behind the scenes what is going on is just literally one fiducial violation after another okay so when it came out it really was the beginning of the realization that the company CEO had completely gone rogue and what stemmed that realization is outside of the S1 flagging you know consumers and investors to really take on a buyer beware attitude um, there was a closer look into Newman's lifestyle and his behaviors so he made some he there's a list of them <laughs> so this is where he goes rogue um, so the statement he started making statements uh, uh, just very bizarre statements one of them probably the most prolific was is that he wanted to become president of the world um, he hoped that he would live forever um, he was an extremely heavy user of marijuana, and by some of this other stuff, it may not be a surprise when you hear that. Um, but there was an incident that accidentally in involved leaving a large stash on a plane in a cereal box. It was a privately chartered plane uh, to Israel. And the owner of the plane, once it was discovered, actually recalled the flight, uh, recalled the aircraft, and required uh, Newman to actually stay behind and figure out how he got back to the United States. Um, because they were just so nervous about an international uh, drug, drug trafficking situation. Um, he wound up terminating 7% of employees and announced the separation at an off-site to everybody and then immediately after served shots of tequila to all the attendees. And this is a pretty sizable group of people. Um, in another event, he flew 8,000 employees to an off-site event outside of London. Um, his wife was discovered to just terminate employees because she didn't, quote-unquote, like their energy. Um, 
later on it, he really off the wall type of commands like one is that he gave orders to annually terminate 20% of his workforce um, and unfortunately the management couldn't even live up to that because the rapid expanse of growth um, in 2015 we work offered a, an employee stock buyback plan that actually wound up paying employees less than the value of the shares that they owned and cited the reason for the valuation to be so low on that is for tax purposes. So after a deeper look, investors really flagged Newman as a risk and the company actually abandoned the IPO. Uh, venture capitalists who once found him very appealing suddenly in about two months saw the company of really starting to show $1.6 billion in losses over a 12 month period and eventually uh, the, not even eventually, but as the company grew, all this was going on. So that now WeWorks is down to a point where it, it, the timeline is coming and, and there's, the time is shrinking to the point where the company is inevitably closing the doors. So things aren't good at WeWorks at this point. So in comes another company by the name of SoftBank, which is a Japanese-owned company that invested $9.5 billion to actually take over WeWorks. And, and at that point, it has been now valued as a $7 billion company. Now remember, this was initially valued, supposed to be valued at $40 billion, with an anticipated release of an IPO at $47 billion. And nine and a half billion came in to actually buy out the company and it's valued at seven billion dollars so if you do the math you're going to run out of toes really quick okay in addition to this softbank actually also invested an additional 13 billion dollars now as it sits shares are down this month alone at two and a half percent on top of an already 30 percent decrease down from july so it's messy <laughs> but it gets better and i'm saying that sarcastically okay so here's the result here's the hr nightmare so that's the backstory of the company okay so here is here is the rest of it so as a result i mean there's a lot more to this but these are just some pretty good key highlights that we're talking about so first off an employee has decided to go ahead and sue weworks and other wework directors including uh, SoftBank listed as a defendant in this case. And the reason why is that the, the case is built on and the accusation is that the companies have benefited themselves at the expense of minor, uh, mi uh, excuse me, minority shareholders and their behavior has uh, literally destroyed the value of the company. Uh, there's significant breaches in their fiduciary duty. Uh, they have been unjustly enriching themselves, uh, abusing control, and a lot more. Um, in addition to that, WeWork employees have legally created a coalition and focused on holding the company accountable through, uh, looks like, and, and not 100% sure if they're actually doing this, but um, one of the articles that I read that they had received guidance that they may consider taking action through collective actions before actually firming, uh, forming a union. But union discussion is on the table for sure. Uh, the company has thousands of documented employees that are commenting on the Slack channel. Now, for those of you who don't know what Slack is, Slack is, it's like an internal Twitter. And um, there's an organization that I belong to that actually has a Slack channel and they push out a lot of communication. The downside to Slack or a platform like this is that communication can go in, but it can also come out. And what I mean by that is it's not just mandated by the company. In other words, it's not just controlled by the company. It's an open source for employees to actually post and respond. So here's the reason why Slack is a problem. And I've had actually a former employer wanted to uh, institute something similar to this, although it was a great idea, but I cautioned against it, and here's the reason why. Is that anytime you put something out there that gives an open forum for discussion, you don't have control over the topic. Now, I'm not talking about censorship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about censoring employees. What I'm talking about is ensuring that 
the span of control of the conversation doesn't move the company into an area with legal risk. So if you have employees who are posting concerns and they're posting comments or they are threatening one another, all of that is actually legally protected under various um, different types of, uh, well, actually really it's under NLRA or National Labor Relations Act. But the premise behind it is that if somebody is talking about the work environment, the company can't do anything about that. Somebody can put um, that they don't feel that the company is paying enough. They can put that out there. They can't get fired for it. Or they, they can't, they can't, it's unlawful for a company to actually take action against them under the National Labor Relations Act. Um, it is something that will, it's like taking a baseball bat to a hornet's nest. It's going to get out of control really quick. But it's also something that is legally discoverable, too. So if this coalition is actually starting to pull together, and this coalition actually, um, I don't know how many people are there, but WeWorks actually received a letter from over 150 employees. So it could be the same employees that are part of this coalition. It could not. I'm not sure. But hypothetically, if it is, then the coalition has the ability to use that against the company, uh, particularly if there's somebody in the reins who is actually making comments on it um, as a representative of the organization and nothing is getting done. Especially, so there could be something that said that, you know, they're looking into something and then all of a sudden it just doesn't happen. Okay. So open, open channels like that, although a lot of people argue that it increases productivity, it also increases a significant amount of risk because you have no control over what is going to be posted and you don't have the ability to delete it. So, um, okay, so employees are fearful of losing their jobs as a result of utilizing their Slack channel, okay? And seeing as how things have been managed at WeWorks, WeWorks probably was dismissing people regardless of whether or not they should or shouldn't. Um, so, but nonetheless, after everything that is going on, WeWorks has to actually have a reduction in force and everybody in the company knows that it's coming. So I mentioned earlier that 150 employees sent a letter to management and what it is is they had a list of demands of really holding the company accountable for being reasonable to employees who are going to be facing those layoffs. Uh, they've also included additional provisions and requests in there, like a time for those who hold visas so that they can identify new sponsorship in the United States and actually be able to continue working, which is quite a process, by the way. Um, they also request that they have a seat at the table when actually helping to decide some of the fate of other employees um, or as a general, you know, as a general partner. Um, that they are actually, uh, they've made a request to eliminate forced arbitration and they are asking the company to take into serious consideration and address the allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment that's coming out. Because when you've got an organization who has a CEO who has gone rogue, guaranteed you're going to wind up having uh, issues surrounding sexual behavior in the workplace, including harassment, and they've cited misconduct in here. So um, that is probably one of the first things that's going to bubble to the surface pretty quickly. Certainly harassment for sure. So all of this taking into consideration in light of SoftBank's decision to give uh, Newman um, something pretty significant. So we've got employees who are extremely upset about this. So when Newman resigned, he was essentially pushed out of the company. The company went ahead and issued him, and I hope you're sitting down, and if you're driving, you may want to stop and pull over. Um, if you're chewing on something, you might want to swallow it right now. <laughs> um, SoftBank decided to give Newman, in separation, $1 billion in shares as a part of his severance or a part of a separation package. In addition to that, they also issued him a $500 million credit in order to pay off personal loans and $185 million in consulting fees. So employees are p 
pissed. <laughs> That's probably the best way I can put it. I'm sorry, it's not HR neutral, but they're pissed. Um, unfortunately, as a result of the company being strapped for cash and really not being able to get anything anymore, probably to help them out of this, uh, layoffs now have to be delayed because the company cannot afford the severance packages. So it's a disaster. It's an absolute mess. Uh, the board, uh, the chairman of the board, <clears throat> um, his name is Marcelo. I think I'm going to pronounce his last name correct. Clary, Claire, Clear, sorry, Clear. Um, his last name is spelled C-L-A-U-R-E. Has stepped in after Newman's separation and is making some pretty significant changes. Um, first off, WeWorks is actually scrambling uh scrambling to figure out what businesses it's going to hold and what it's not. And uh, they probably aren't scrambling anymore since they have released a five-year plan and they have announced it to their employees that one is coming. And what they are in doing is that they are, WeWorks under Newman had purchased a lot of subsidiary companies. Uh, Meetup is one of them and I mentioned that earlier. So uh, there's a, a school that I think the, tu in the yearly tuition is $42,000 and it's an elementary school. Um, those, they're things that don't match up with the company's business model. They're things that just don't make sense to hold on to and what they are doing is that they are looking at getting rid of those business holdings. Are they gonna close or are they gonna sell? Um, and those subsidiaries so that they do not provide a drag of any type of uh, you know cash capital that they actually need to hang on to. So that is part of a five-year strategic plan. Um, very recently, Meetup laid off 25% of its employees, which is about 50 people. Flatiron, which is one of the schools that it owns, actually laid off 12 people. But the biggest cut is coming soon in the next several weeks and that is 4,000 employees in WeWorks infrastructure. So also recently, WeWorks fired 13 employees and made a very big deal about this because this is a time when they are reinforcing and they're redefining and reinforcing their culture. So they fired 13 employees accused of violating company policy related specifically to vendor selection and management processes. It's not just here in the United States, it's also impacted other countries as well. Now the chairman of the board is redefining and upholding the culture of integrity and respect very specifically. And he sent out a letter to uh, the company and I want to read to you a couple of spots here, which is pretty, pretty impressive. And you can definitely see the change taking place. He writes, I want to be clear. WeWork will not tolerate behavior that disrespects our people, members, or business. We encourage you to share any concerns through our helpline. No one will be retaliated against for coming forward in good faith. We know we can build a strong culture of compliance only if you can come forward with concerns as our colleagues recently did in Latin and Latham and USCI. We want you to be part of shaping the future, a culture that we are proud to be part of and values integrity and respect at its, cores, at its core. I know this has been a very difficult time, layoffs and restructuring on everyone's mind and how could they not be? These are the toughest decisions that we have to make, but unfortunately the reality is, is that we have to complete layoffs in the next several weeks. Our top priority is treating those who will ultimately leave us with dignity and respect, including fair severance packages, and continuation of benefits that allows them to transition to the next phase of their journey. However, I do want to emphasize that the business is secure. This week I sent letters to our top enterprise customers, landlords, brokers, and community teams letting them know that WeWork's business plan for the next few years is fully funded. SoftBank's $6.5 billion in debt and equity brings our total committed capital to $18.5 billion, making this one of the largest investments ever made into a private company in history. We can now turn our full attention to what matters most, serving our members and getting this organization back on a path to sustainable growth. This is a lot of information and we're moving fast. Looking forward, we're also in the process of finalizing an updated WeWork 5-year strategic plan. It will include a new operating and governance model that emphasizes accountability and fairness to every employee, a new organizational compensation structure, 
financial restructuring that will ensure WeWork has the right cost structure it needs to grow sustainably without needing to raise more capital. I'll be presenting this plan to the WeWork Board of Directors on Tuesday, November 19th. After that, we will be scheduling an all-company meeting where I'll share the same document with you. This plan will be our North Star for the next five years, and it's vital that we feel it represents who we are as a company and the path we all want to be on together. Now, this is the part that I absolutely love the most. Absolutely. In the meantime, please continue to share your thoughts with me. I've received hundreds of emails, and I read every one of them. That is absolutely fantastic. So it's a mess. <laughs> he abs- It's an absolute mess. But in the light of what once was, it's very clear that there is now true and solid leadership coming out of the organization. So what has made it an HR nightmare, I mean, it's just a nightmare in general, but what has really contributed is that, look, first and foremost, the top two people that could had the ability to make decisions in an organization like that was the husband and wife who owned it. And that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. There was no inf- in, nor organizational direction, no organizational structure. Um, other things that I've read <clears throat> that trying to get, you know, teams of people working together was like herding cats. It, it's just, it was just absolutely all over the place. So it is very evident that there was no consideration from the Newmans towards their employees. The only thing that was happening is that if you weren't part of whatever it was that they were trying to design, which really didn't have direction or was clear, then you were out, All right? Now, here's, here's a real big complication. This is a company that operates internationally, so it has to comply with I can't even tell you how many laws. Not only does it have to comply, let's just look at the Warren Act, for instance, right? So if they're laying off a significant portion of their workforce, does it have to apply within their specific state? For So like New York has Warren state laws. And if they're eliminating a sizable amount of a number of employees in the state of New York, the question is, is how, what do they have to do? I mean, Warren in general is, applies to companies with 100 people or more. And of a certain age, they have to provide X number of days when a sizable layoff, and there's quantifying figures to this, um, sizable numbers are, you know, if they're facing a reduction of force. So that takes time, that takes planning, budgeting, and money. So it's very complicated. Uh, benefits. When you look at benefits coverage, you know, what are they going to be able to offer? And, and the amount of COBRA covered administration is extremely high. And you're talking a minimum of 18 months, minimum of having to foot additional administrative support uh, towards managing uh, COBRA. <laughs> so it's just absolutely nuts. And this is a perfect example of what happens to a company when human resources is not valued. It's a perfect example of what happens when there's bad leadership in the organization. And it has a lot, and, and there's a sizable piece of this, is that not only is it valued, not only is there an organization, horrible leadership, but HR does not have a seat at the table. And this is only the beginning. I mean, they've made their declaration, but that doesn't mean that everybody's feeling all lovey-dovey about what's going on. This is going to take a very long time to reverse itself, and people are not going to forgive this in any short order. Um, Not to mention, the liability is through the roof. The individual liability, and we 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 did a podcast on this a little while ago. We talked about individual liability. There's individual liability for the board. There's individual liability for about any HR person that's touching anything at this point. There's individual liability around all these managers who either have been trying to do the right thing and got caught up in something, or the people who haven't been doing anything at all and didn't do what they were supposed to do. Or if there's a manager who's been operating in a less than ethical standpoint, um, you know what, there's just a lot of little bit, a lot lot of, I can't say it, a lot of liability. So it is just literally across the board. Now, typically I talk about 
what happens in small business. But you know what? This is such an example of what not to do in any size business that it just needed to be shared. And we this isn't done. We're not done with this. No, it's it's going to be great to see WeWorks really coming out. The fact that the chairman of the board and the board itself has been able to secure funding of somehow which um, was very highly unlikely earlier on, but I saved that little nugget of information because I wanted you to read uh, the letter that was obtained. Um, that, you know, if a company doesn't have that kind of funding, then there is a lot of question around sustainability of the business. But did you notice in the letter that solid leadership addressed that without anybody having to ask the question? And employees won't ask the money questions. They will just make assumptions. So, if, if anybody is out there that is dealing with, not necessarily we work nightmare, but if you're dealing with something and there's ambiguity on how the business is going to pull through, then address whether or not the company is secure. If the company is secure, make sure that you say that. That was a huge pivoting point. Now, it's not going to save 4,000 jobs. Unfortunately, it just won't. But it, what it will do is it's going to save the remaining 8,500 of them that are out there. So those 8,500 people probably felt a huge sigh of relief when they realized that they are the 8,500 people that are staying. So that there is a future for the company and that there is a path moving forward. So those things can't happen unless you pull in all of your partners and human resources is going to be an absolute huge part of this uh, and I'm sure that department has completely undergone a complete cleanup uh, because not only was it ineffective because there was no leadership or attempt or support behind it but it just you know it wasn't effective and if anybody's listening that has been a part of that I'm not throwing stones in glass houses or anything like that I'm not calling anybody out as an individual, but, you know, bad corporate leadership <clears throat> certainly didn't do anything to support that team. And I can't even imagine how stressful and outrageous that working in that environment must have been for anybody um, that had to have been incredibly, incredibly hard. I know what it's like when you work for a company and things are questionable. I can't imagine what it's like working for a company when things are blatantly obvious. So look, um, if you guys have, or like I said, if you're listening, um, and you, and you got out on your own to save yourself. Wow. Boy, good job <laughs> because that would have been just an absolute mess. So, so that is WeWorks and stay tuned because I'm going to continue to watching it. I find it very fascinating. Those are just some of the HR callouts, and you know what, this is not something that is common. This is a very uncommon thing. But when you have a CEO, a CEO goes rogue, not that uncommon. When you've got a company that does not have the type of compliance pieces put into place, not that uncommon. Um, when you've got you know fiduciary responsibility that is being blatantly abused, these are the things that are going to come up. And so, um, although this company had just an absolute brilliant future to it once they peeled back the layers of the onion and it came time um, it was very obvious that it had significant issues so don't be afraid to peel back the, the layers of the onion if you're in a position where you can make a difference do it if you're in a position where you've got so much in front of you that there's no way that you can traverse the wall and make the difference you're gonna have to make some personal decisions as to what you need to do uh, because your integrity is is just as important as anything else. So now that we're moving on here, um, I do have a shout out to a couple, actually to one person. Um, Adam wanted to just let you know that it was really, really great meeting you a couple weeks ago over at the golf tournament. Um, I wish you certainly, I certainly wish you luck and uh, looking forward to hearing how things are going in the future. Um, workshops coming up. We've got um, Helping Grieving Employees Through the Holidays. It is a December workshop that is coming down the pike. There's going to be two opportunities for people to attend, both live and virtual. And then you just visit uh, 
bestpractices.org to go ahead, log on, click on the events tab, and you'll be able to see what that event is. I'm also in the process of planning a local event in the Virginia Beach, Chesapeake area. So stay tuned if that comes to fruition. <laughs> I will announce it, I promise. Um, we also, don't forget, we do have the HR University by Best Practices that are out there. The most recent course is the Basic HR Compliance course. We also have Understanding Generation Z, Hiring Talent for Employers, and the American with Disabilities Act for Employers online courses. And when I release a class, which there will be another one coming up soon, um, I'm in the process of attending a legal symposium actually tomorrow, and there's going to be a lot of information that's coming down the pike. So I'm not sure if I'm going to do a course or if I'm going to just make those highlights in the next podcast episode. I haven't quite decided yet, but nonetheless, there is a lot of good stuff that I'm going to be walking away with. Probably so much good stuff that my eyeballs are going to spin. But anyway, back to the university, um, that when a course is released, that there is the 5 for 50 special, which is 50% off for the first five days after that course is released. And those discounts expire one minute after midnight on the fifth day. So take advantage of the special offering by clicking on the HR University at the top of the bestpractices.org website. We also have the two books, Holy Cow, I Have to Complete an I-9, which is designated to accompany the USCIS M274 instruction book, which is two inches thick when you print it, on how to complete an I-9, retain it, and some other helpful best practices on what to do if you are audited. Also, there's the Holy Cow, I Have to Talk to My Boss book, and that is where I share the four rules to building a better relationship with your boss. Again, you can find these over on the webpage by clicking on Shop and selecting your options. Uh, Email me your questions. I like to hear your HR questions, and you can submit your questions on the bestpractices.org website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to post your question which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode and I do have a question for today so this question comes out from Utah Um, what do managers do when they have an employee who will not follow a new policy and it was interesting because I got into this conversation with somebody else and the general consensus was fire them, <laughs> just fire them. And, you know, I came, I piped up and I said, well, that's a little extreme. I said, it dep- It kind of depends on a few things. I said, maybe firing isn't the first thing that I would do. Um, I, th- I think first and foremost, I think you have to take into consideration what is the policy. And if you're talking about, you know, somebody constantly filling in their timesheets and not getting something done, and that's written into your policy. What if it's a top performer? I mean, are you going to separate from your top performer, who's your biggest revenue driver, for something as—it's small, but it's big—as not filling in a timesheet? I, I think the better choice in that possibly would be to consider. Now, there's a lot of things that go into this, so you know, don't take it as an absolution because you have to look at your own your own environment and your own situation, but I wouldn't necessarily race to terminating an employee who doesn't fill out a timesheet immediately or a top performer. I think there's another way to approach something like that in order to get something done. And, you know, every now and again, you're going to have employees who just aren't going to follow policies for a wide variety of reasons. And I'll give you, God, I'll give you, for instance, years ago when I worked um, in a restaurant, Um, I had a shift manager who refused to wear his name tag. Now, he was a cool guy. I did like him. Kind of remind me of the actor Tom Hardy a little bit. Um, But he just, for some reason, wouldn't wear a name tag. And finally I asked him, I said, why is it that you're the only one here that doesn't want to wear their name tag? He says, I don't like people knowing who I am. And he says, and it's not because I've got a criminal record or anything like that or you know, I'm, I'm out to cause trouble. I just, I'm not comfortable with strangers and I'm not comfortable with strangers who know my name. Now, you know, after thinking about it, I'm like, you know, that's not all that unreasonable. I'm not really quite sure why. And the more I got to know him and the more we talked, he said, you know, I grew up in a very small town where you knew everybody and everybody knew you. And to me, that's comfortable. 
But when I go into a place where there's more people and I don't know who anybody is, that's not how I grew up. It just, I'm just not comfortable broadcasting who I am. I'm a very personal person. Um, and that comes from living in a small town and I don't like people knowing my business because everybody in a small town, especially the one my size, when you have one stop sign, everybody knows your business. Even when you don't say anything, everybody knows your business. So I said to him, I said, okay, so then you need to help me come up with a solution for this. If you don't want to wear your name tag, then I need you to help figure out a solution for this. Because I hear what you're saying. I don't understand it, but I can respect how you feel about that. So two days later, he was gone for a couple of days. Two days later, came back and he was wearing somebody else's name tag <laughs> and it was a guy. So I started laughing and I looked at the store manager and I said, well, <laughs> he's wearing a name tag. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, he is, isn't he? And you know what? We just decided to let it die. Um, <laughs> it was actually really funny. At the end of the day, when we looked at it, we looked at it from the perspective of, look, he's got a name tag on. He's, he's in uniform like everybody else. It's a guy's name. <laughs> you know, he's easily identifiable because this is the guy who has all, and back then, this is before tattoos really made a big hit. So he was the guy that had tattoos on his arms. Nobody else had them, right? So it was very easy for us to discern whether or not if there, somebody came in and was like, oh, your manager or your shift supervisor or whatever, you know, treated me like a real jerk. Well, did they have tattoos or no? No, he didn't have tattoos. Okay, great. Then we know who we we're talking about. Or yes, he had tattoos. Okay, great. Now we know who we we're talking about. So, I mean, this is the same guy that walked around with a safety pin in his ear. And, you know, it was a pierced earring. It, it just, it was a safety pin. What are we going to do? So it was a progressive college town. It could slide. So, you know, we just took a look at this and went, all right, so how much are we really going to push this? Because the guy's never been late. He's been with the company for three years. He's never been late. He's never been absent. His cash drawers are spot on. He doesn't have people issues. He actually gets stuff done. He steps up to help other people out. He's actually a good employee. So are we really going to push the subject of the name tag? And you know what? He did. He came up with a solution. <laughs> he just kind of went, okay, <laughs> we'll live with it. So, you know, it, it, it depends. I, I mean, when you're talking about employees not following a policy, there's a number of factors. I mean, first off, when it was released, was the employee present the day that the information went out? And the second thing is, is that if the employee wasn't present that day and this new policy came out, what was done to make sure that the employee was educated on it? Okay, so I would look at that. I would look also, too, as to, you know, how well was the information communicated to the employees? Was this something that the employee understood? And was there an opportunity for the employee to ask questions if they didn't understand what was going on? Uh, something else to take a look at is why isn't the employee buying into the policy if they knew about it? What about it is, is what's the reason why the person doesn't want to adhere to the policy? And in some environments, there's some people that will actually break the rule because there, it gets in their way, or it's problematic, or it actually doesn't address a, you know, a deeper aspect of what's going on in their work environment. Sometimes a policy can actually be a hindrance. So I think other actions are warranted when it comes to policy release and people who do not follow them. I think you really have to dig deep. And look, you're gonna have, every now and again, somebody's gonna say, yeah, I don't agree with this policy and I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna follow it. And if it's one that's a substantial policy to where it involves individual safety or protection of the company assets or anything like that, or you know, it's behavior towards another employee or even towards themselves, and they don't wanna follow it, well then yeah, I think it's appropriate to consider an exit plan at that point. But I think you have to really take a look at whether or not it's, um, it's warranted. Now, some things that do happen when policies get released and employees don't want to follow them is that managers and business owners can get passionate about stuff like this. And they see their passion and their anger as the opportunity to exit an employee. And that also may not be in the best interest. So my suggestion would be 
um, get a temper check on how you're feeling. And if you're feeling passionate about things, that's the time to really talk through what you're feeling and what you're thinking with an objective third party and somebody who can actually really kind of help you see the trees through the forest on this. Because if you are making decisions based off of emotion and excitement or just one more thing that somebody else is doing to tick you off and rub you the wrong way, then you're not going to be very clear about making decisions and possibly making them for the right reasons. So uh, that's what I would recommend doing um, is just to take the time and really think through it critically to see if does it make sense or, or is there another approach to this. So I want to thank you guys again for joining today. Um, this has been uh, this was a cool subject to talk about and I'm very excited about what I'm going to be learning in the next literally 24 hours. So uh, my head is going to be full of new information and I will uh, be releasing that stuff as time goes along. Um, some of it we still probably need to figure out, but there's going to be some other things that are coming out of this, particularly for government contractors uh, that are going to be interesting, including what I announced earlier in the show on the um, release of that executive order uh, from President Trump. So so to find out more, <laughs> if you want to pay attention to what is going on and what I'm up to, you guys can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in Human Resources. You can also find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by looking at my name, which is Brenda Neckvattle. That is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V-A-T-A-L. You can also find me on the website at bestpractices.work. And while you're there, jump on the mailing list and get the latest and greatest of my best practices delivered right to your inbox. So thank you again, folks, for joining me. And I look forward to sharing all the adventures and all the cool things that are coming down the pike in employment law. And uh, I will talk to you soon. You guys have a great one.